Good afternoon. I'm Deputy Mayor John Falchicchio, and I just want to welcome you to the District's Economic Recovery Team weekly check-in. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about uh, equity, and in particular, equity in uh, real estate projects. Uh, so I have with me the uh, DEMPED Director of Real Estate, uh, Saroj Adpatwala, uh, as well as uh, the Chairman of the Committee on Economic Development, Business and Economic Development, uh, Councilmember Kenya McDuffie, and then also joining us, uh, special guest, Carissa Stanley, who's the president of the African-American Real Estate Professionals of D.C. Uh, so I want to thank uh, all of our guests for joining us uh, today. Uh, as you might know, uh, at the uh, mayor's inauguration in uh, January of 2019, she talked about an ambitious goal to create 36,000 new units of housing by 2025. Uh, but she wanted to make sure uh, that we also had a goal for affordable housing uh, units to be created, and so she set that number at 12,000 units by 2025, and wanted to make sure that we also had those units across the District of Columbia, not just concentrated in one neighborhood or one ward of the city. And so in October of 2019, uh, the uh, mayor's office released the, or excuse me, the housing uh, equity report. Uh, and in that report, uh, we broke down uh, the 12,000 units of affordable housing and became the first city in the country to uh, set affordable housing goals by neighborhood. Uh, technically, uh, those neighborhoods are actually our planning areas. The district is divided up into 10 planning areas, and each of those planning areas has a specific affordable housing goal, and that's what is set out in the housing equity report. Uh, we also wanted to make sure that there was uh, equity in the opportunities that DEMPED put forth in our real estate solicitations. And so for the first time uh, this year, uh, just last month, we launched our equity initiative in order to make sure that disadvantaged business enterprises uh, were represented in all of our solicitations. And so our first solicitation uh, is uh, Langston Slater Schools, and uh, we have a series of other solicitations, uh, which Sarosh Atpadwala will go through uh, in a few minutes. Uh, but first up, I wanted to uh, welcome into the conversation uh, the council member from Ward 5, but also the chairman of the council's committee on uh, business and economic development, uh, because he has been a partner of DEMPEDS, as well as a leading advocate on the council in order to ensure that equity is part of all of our economic development uh, work. And so with that, I want to bring into the conversation council member Kenya McDuffie. Thank you, uh, John, Deputy uh, Mayor Pachikio. I appreciate the introduction. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Kenyon McDuffie. I represent War 5 on the Council of the District of Columbia, and I also chair the Council's Committee on Business and Economic Development. Uh, let me begin by thanking uh, Mayor Mario Bowser, uh, as well as you, uh, Deputy Mayor, and, and the entire DEMPED team for uh, both inviting me to be a part of this important conversation uh, but also for the work that you're doing on integrating equity into economic development. I also want to thank uh, Carissa and all the great work that uh, AREP is doing uh, and District of Columbia as well. I appreciate seeing you here and, and look forward to, to your presentation. Uh, COVID-19 has really put us in an economic recession that even surpasses uh, the most recent Great Recession. The financial impact of the pandemic has been catastrophic for so many people uh, with residents being laid off from work, families grieving the deaths of loved ones, and businesses forced to make very difficult decisions about whether to 
you know, try to close temporarily uh, or to close permanently. Uh, the recent announcement of the opportunities that will prioritize equity and inclusion have come at a time when many minority and women-owned businesses are really struggling from the economic impact of COVID-19, but also responsive to the long history of disproportionate access to opportunities that have really plagued our city uh, and our country. Uh, D.C. is uh, one of the most racially segregated cities in the United States. Uh, what we often see is that uh, black residents uh, are really bearing the brunt of, of many of the social inequities that exist. The district has a higher level of income inequality than, than any other state uh, in the country, uh, with households in the top 20% having 29 times more income than those in the bottom 20%. Uh, and during our public health emergency, African-American-owned businesses shrank 41% from 1.1 million to 640,000 across the country, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research. And really, this historic confluence of events with the pandemic and people calling for you know, racial justice across the country uh, is really calling us to be bold in order to recognize the public clarion call for social, economic, and racial justice. And while much is made about, uh, you know, really the need to, to get past the pandemic and return to normal, uh, that's not the sort of normal that I think many people want to get back to, and I, and I appreciate that Mayor Bowser and, and you, Deputy Mayor, and the team are working to create a, a new normal uh, where we're actually elevating uh, our responsiveness and looking out for folks who have been historically uh, discriminated against. Um, in April, I brought together uh, an equitable recovery advisory group that brought uh, African-American thought leaders, academics, and entrepreneurs all together. And as a result of conversations that I had with the advisory group, uh, I included funds in our 50-year 2021 uh, budget focused on supporting and minority-owned businesses to, to really uh, help them and support them to, toward an equitable recovery. Uh, we funded the Racial Equity Chief Results Act. We uh, are, are hoping to establish that in October uh, once it's finally passed. And importantly, and for today's conversation, uh, we also funded a new study uh, to lay the foundation needed to create a, a real true minority business enterprise program in the District of Columbia. Uh, and also, uh, we established in this budget a new certified business enterprise designation, which we're referring to as equity impact enterprises to try to address some of the structural impediments to opportunities faced by many minority-owned and women-owned businesses. Uh, the equity enterprise designation that I included in the council's uh, budget aligns with Mayor Bowser's new equity inclusion prioritization. The equity inclusion prioritization recognizing the importance of ensuring that organizations owned or controlled by individuals who are part of a socially disadvantaged population are able to participate in the economic prosperity uh, here in the District of Columbia. The recent announcement of the development opportunities that will prioritize equity inclusion are really concrete steps that move the racial equity beyond uh, just merely a conversation and toward implementation. So to begin to change the way that you know, District of Columbia government and its institutions um, have perpetuated systemic racism over the years, uh, we really need to begin to innovate and take new approaches to achieve uh, these real concrete results. And so I appreciate, again, you, Deputy uh, Mayor Farchicchio, and uh, your entire team, uh, Bowser, uh, for taking this important step and inviting me to be a part of this uh, important conversation today. Thank you. Councilmember, I appreciate that, and uh, we are going to continue to work together on the solicitations that Sorosh will go through, uh, but also uh, make sure that uh, equity is part of everything we do. And so you mentioned the work 
that we'll do with the Department of Small and Local Business Development, uh, but also uh, GEMPED will continue to look for ways uh, to make sure, like I said, that equity is part of everything that we do. And part of that has been uh, really, uh, we met earlier this year with uh, African-American real estate professionals, uh, and we had a conversation uh, with a couple of my colleagues in government, uh, but it was really a good conversation about how we as a government uh, can be more proactive uh, in the work uh, to achieve equity. And uh, Carissa has laid out for us uh, really uh, concrete steps that the uh, association would like to see. Um, and so we wanted to actually uh, help her hold our feet to the fire uh, by coming with us today to lay those out uh, for uh, the, uh, really for everyone to see. Uh, and so we'll come to her uh, next after, actually, I'm going to ask the Roche uh, to present about those real estate projects uh, that you alluded to, Council Member, uh, and then we'll go to Carissa to talk about some of the policies uh, that we'll need to put in place. So next up, uh, we'll have Sarosh, uh to walk us through a couple of the real estate opportunities uh, that DEMHED is working on. Okay, thank you, Deputy Mayor Palchicchio. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I am Sarosh Alperuelo, the Director of Real Estate in the Office of the Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development. Today, I will update, I will provide an update on the RFPs we are issuing as well as our new equity preference. Um, on July 15th, DEMPED announced a new strategy for enhancing equity and making DC's prosperity more inclusive and equitable inclusion prioritization in forthcoming requests for proposals or RFPs that will increase access to development opportunities for entities or organizations that are owned or majority controlled by individuals determined to be part of a socially disadvantaged population. To facilitate equitable access to district development projects, DEMPED will begin incorporating a prioritization in our RFPs for teams that maximize by percentage of ownership and control entities designated as disadvantaged business enterprises and resident-owned businesses or any entities including nonprofits and community institutions led by or majority controlled by individuals designated as socially disadvantaged under the Small Business Administration definition. The first RFP including this equity inclusion priority was for Langston Slater School at 43 T Street Northwest in Ward 5. The property was formerly two elementary schools, Slater Elementary School and John Mercer Langston Elementary School. Uh, Slater, El Slater uh, Elementary School was constructed in 1891 as a school for African American students. The school was part of a complex for black students along 1st Street Northwest between L and P. The Langston Elementary School was built in 1902 to handle the overflow of students from the adjoining Slater School. The RFP was released on July 14th and is due back on September 14th of this year. Uh, the next site is the Malcolm X site at um, 1351 Alabama Avenue Southeast in Ward 8 and is part of the former Malcolm X Elementary School campus, which closed in 2013 and is now the home to DC government facilities and various community-based organizations. The site is adjacent to the Congress Heights Metro Station and close to the Entertainment and Sports Arena on the St. Elizabeth campus. In addition to the DEMPED RFP at this site, the Department of General Services, DGS, is concurrently issuing a design-build request for proposals for the portion of the parcel that include the physical school building to be renovated or replaced for a new high school. 
The GenPad RFP for Malcolm X includes the option or, or leaves open the possibility for one team to complete both projects, but that is not required. Uh, this site has also been identified as an opportunity for teacher and or educator housing so that they can live in the communities in which they teach. Uh, the surplus process, uh, the next project uh, is, um, the surplus process has started for the Frank D. Reeves Municipal Building at 2014th Street Northwest in Ward 1. The site is located uh, within the U Street Corridor, which has been a long-standing historic hub of cultural, educational, and commercial life for African Americans in DC, and the area continues to be one of DC's most flourishing destinations. The site is culturally significant uh, to the district, to district history, and any redevelopment is required to integrate and commemorate that significance. Additionally, the NAACP is seeking to relocate its national headquarters to the district, and the district will prioritize development proposals that include the NAACP as a foundational anchor and a development equity partner. The district will also prioritize teams that maximize the percentage with a goal of 100% uh, of partnering entities or organizations that are owned or majority controlled by individuals determined to be part of a socially disadvantaged population. And finally, the uh, surplus process was also started for Hill East Phase 2 uh, at 1900, I'm sorry, 19th Street at Massachusetts Avenue Southeast in Ward 7. These parcels are located on the hilly site between the eastern edge of the Capitol Hill neighborhood and the western shore of the Anacostia River. For phase two, uh, for the equitable development focus on phase two, the district will seek teams that provide small and disadvantaged businesses the opportunity to lead and control a component, uh, such as a portion of the site comprising one or more parcels within the development. This component developer model helps disadvantaged businesses grow and build, build capacity while benefiting from the economies of scale and other resources a larger development structure can provide. We are very excited by these project opportunities and look forward to working with you on all of them. Uh, there will be an opportunity to ask questions later in the program. Uh, now I will turn it back over to Deputy Mayor Falchuk Hill. Thank you. Thanks, Roche. Uh, and again, uh, we're excited that all of these uh, projects are moving forward. Uh, Councilmember McDuffie, I hate to put you on the spot, but can you pick one as your favorite? Um, that's hard to do, uh, honestly. And I think I think uh, the fact that we have this many uh, that have come out, I think Deputy Mayor Franciccio is positive in and of itself. But but I'm really interested to see the type of people who are going to compete uh, for this. Uh, and so rather than pick one, I'd like to say that the, the concept uh, taking this, this very important step to me is my favorite uh, because I think it is new, it's different, uh, and it's long past time. And so, so I, I would say I like the fact that you all are doing it, uh, and I'm excited about uh, the types of responses it gets. Absolutely, and I'm also proud that we're starting in Ward Five. Uh, we're going to have those uh, first submission uh, is due in September, uh, so we really want to uh, really uh, hit the ground running on this initiative. And I think Langston Slater. Uh, is a good opportunity for uh, real estate developers, community builders to look at that site and imagine it uh, as a better, more productive use uh, for the community that it sits in. So, I know yeah, I'm and I'll say, John, John, I'll say that I think it's only fitting that the first one that you put out is in War 5, uh, but also that, that is the Langston Slater School, the schools that were started uh, African American students in District 1. So, uh, I appreciate that. 
that makes it very special for me as a World Five Council member. Absolutely. I give all the credit on that one to Taroche uh, for prioritizing uh, Ward 5 projects, of course. Thank you. So with that, I want to bring in uh, Carissa, uh, who, like I said, uh, met with us earlier this year and really uh, talked to us about how important uh, equity would be in everything that we do. And so uh, Carissa has really laid out uh, a bold agenda uh, for uh, what the uh, administration can do and uh, really what the broader uh, business community can do to uh, put the uh, really the uh, notion that we not just want to uh, try to achieve equity, but that we can take concrete steps to do so. Uh, so without further ado, I want to bring Carissa into the conversation. Well, thank you, uh, Deputy Mayor Fikechekio. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, to speak uh, to the community about AREP, who we are, um, what we offer to our members and the real estate community in general. Uh, and I also want to thank you on your work around equity in terms of your RFPs. Um, as president of AREP, I know how extremely important that is to the folks that we represent. And so um, I will take a little bit of time and start by talking about who we are. Um, so AREP is a nonprofit organization with approximately 200 individual and corporate members, uh, and we have over 1,500 stakeholders, all with experience and expertise in various sectors of both residential and commercial real estate. Um, our mission is simply to facilitate economic parity through real estate, um, and we do this really through what I call a five-prong approach. Um, education, professional development, networking, matchmaking, and advocacy, each of which I'll talk a little bit about um, in, in one of the other slides. Uh, just in terms of leadership, uh, as I mentioned, I'm president. I've been president since 2017, and our day-to-day -day is managed by our four officers, uh, all of whom have been voted in by the board of directors. For 2020, we have a 12-member board including our board chair, and all of those board members are leaders in their respective organizations and leaders in the finance and real estate community in the D.C. metropolitan area. Uh, next slide, please. Next, I just want to give an idea of who our members are uh, so that you have a good sense of who we represent. You'll notice that we have municipal agencies as members. We have banks, including my bank, Amalgamated Bank, um, and we have construction and development companies. So we run the gamut in terms of um, who we represent with AREP and the expertise that we bring to the table. Um, we even now have BizNow, which you may be familiar with. It's one of the largest outlets for commercial real estate news and events. Um, BizNow recently joined AREP to work with us in partnership as even they recognize their responsibility to hold the real estate industry accountable for equity and to ensure that they are elevating the voices of black people um, in their platform, in their webinars, and in their events. Uh, so we're very happy to have a wide range of sponsors um, and thereby input as well into our platform, into the sessions that we host, and into our advocacy. Uh, so it's something that we take great pride in. Uh, next slide, please. With this one, I just want to give folks a flavor of what I mean when I say our five-prong approach and sort of the, the offering that we give to the community. 
Um, this year, for example, we hosted nine events, and this slide just highlights a few of them. Um, and we were proud to have hosted Councilman McDuffie actually twice this year. We hosted him once in April, where he discussed with us assistance programs and COVID relief at the local level. And then he joined us again in July, where he was joined by Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, and they discussed local and national police reform. Um, earlier this year, which was actually pre-COVID, we also hosted an event we call a conversation with the agencies, and that was actually our second hosting of that event in a row, and that included you, Deputy Mayor Falcecchio, so thank you for that. Um, and leadership from the D.C. Housing Finance Agency, the D.C. Housing Authority, and the D.C. Department of Community Development. Um, it was really characteristic that event is of what we do because most small to medium real estate developers and investors or even service providers in the community do not have the opportunity to have all of that leadership from the city's various agencies in front of them at once. Um, so that was a real value to our membership, and they take advantage of the opportunity. Our members want to hear what the city is doing. They want to ask questions, and they want to inform the city of what's happening at the business level, all with the goal of creating better opportunities for our black and brown members. Um, we've also held discussions about federal financial assistance from the Small Business Administration. We discussed the HEROES Act as well. Um, and then our most recent event that I'll highlight was what we call the conversation with Dr. Michael Eric Dyson and Dr. Robin D'Angelo. And it was really a conversation focused on racial equity and white fragility. Uh, and I'll tell you, we hosted it with really two goals in mind. Number one, to continue to elevate the conversation of equity. And I focus on the word equity and not diversion and not inclusion or other catchphrases. Uh, because within AREP, we have focused on equity. We realize and we know that that really is the way to move the ball in the black community. Um, so that was the first goal. And then the, first, the second goal of that particular event was to frame the topic of what has been coined white fragility and how it challenges our mission of equity. Um, so that's just the flavor of everything that we've done this, this year. Um, the only other part of the, the prong that I'll highlight is our advocacy, um, and really we've showcased that in one particular bill at the city level that we um, have disapproved, and so I'm sure if you don't already know about that, you will, uh, because we have taken a stance in regards to that, but it's just one of the things that, that AREP does in representation of the business community and our members. Um, next slide, please. This slide is very, very near and dear to my heart. It is our corporate anti-racist platform, um, which we released earlier this year. And I'll say it is really representative of our voice and the demands of our members to the real estate community. Um, as a group, we worked very hard on the platform, and we wanted to ensure that it was not reactionary to recent events, which a lot of folks are doing. But instead of being reactionary, we really wanted it to be a comprehensive approach to equity in the local real estate community. Um, you'll see, if you look at the, the platform, which if you can't see it very well here, you're welcome to go to the AREP DC website. It's front and center there. Um, but just in terms of the way we thought about it, 
you'll see that we started with an overarching principle, um, and then we gave a call to action, which included demands on municipal organizations at the city level, um, where we specifically addressed the awarding of contracts and RFPs. Um, the platform also addresses professional development and promotion and civic and uh, excuse me civic participation and contributions, all of which we know organizations do uh, on an active level, and as such, they need to be considering equity in all of these steps. Um, again, I'll emphasize as our conversation unfolds um, in regards to, to equity, we will continue to use our platform as our guide and philosophy in engagement with local government and companies and organizations. Um, AREP strongly believes that we are really beyond the rhetoric, and if institutions are asking how to advance the goal of equity, we have actionable steps that we're going to place in front of you for conversation. Um, and then the last slide is just our website for folks that want to know more about us. I encourage you to go to the website. Um, we keep it up to date. That's where you can learn more about our organization. Um, you can learn about the events that we may be hosting. But more importantly than that, the website really does serve as a resource for our members. So we're often posting jobs, uh, dis uh, distributing job postings, news from our members, and updates from the local business community. And so I thank you again for the time, Deputy Mayor, and I hope to continue the conversation of equity. And I will let you know that AREF is here as a resource for the city. Thank you, Carissa. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, allow for some questions. Uh, some folks are watching on Channel 16. Uh, we also have uh, viewers on Facebook as well as Twitter. Uh, but we're going to ask uh, those who are listening on the phone, uh, if you have a question, uh, you'll have the opportunity to ask any of the panelists about uh, anything that we covered today. You can press zero on your phone now, and that'll put you in the queue uh, in order to ask questions. So if you want to ask a question of any of our panelists, press zero now, and uh, we'll put you into the queue. Uh, but Chris, I have a question for you about the platform, uh, and maybe we can put that back up on the screen. Um, and just to go into... Uh, what we as a government, uh, what your members are looking for, uh, we as a government in the call to action. It's a little bit hard to see right on the screen, uh, but just to highlight that for our viewers. Uh, what you yeah. Can see John, can you, can you hear me? I, I wanted to make sure I heard the question. Yes, just on the call to action uh, section uh, of the platform. Yes. Uh, just yes. uh, if you could tell a little bit more about what you uh, expect from the government in that call to action. Yeah, it's it's a good question. So we so we we strategically put it under greater access to capital because we believe that's where it should be, um, and this sort of falls in line with the conversations that we've had, John, really around um, the RFPs and all of the opportunities that the, that the city and the government has to bring in um, small and medium-sized black businesses. I mean, specifically, the call to action is that you will mandate exclusive of any waiver or exemption at least 33% of all the awards and contracts to black-owned businesses. Um, and we can talk about, you know, maybe behind the scenes where we came up with the 33% and why we think that's a legitimate number. Um, but essentially, our goal is to put a number which is actionable 
um, behind sort of the conversation around equity. Uh, and this is what we came up with as a collective. So it's specifically around awards and contracts, and it's without waiver or exception. And how does that apply to maybe what we're doing with the real estate solicitation? Uh, because I think Sarosh will have a prioritization. Do you want to talk a little bit about how we uh, will approach that prioritization? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so basically, as, as we discussed, we actually worked uh, closely and I appreciate Carissa uh, and uh, AREP's input as well as uh, with Kenny McCutty's office. We worked with uh, Bruce in your office and Brian in your office. And, um, you know, there are a number of different models uh, that, that we've heard from, from stakeholders, from people in the, in the community, in the industry. Um, and the two primary ones that we, um, we came to the conclusion on was the, what we're calling the prime model, the 100% uh, minority-led team model, and then the component developer model, which includes um, being a, 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 uh, a team member in a larger team, but we actually heard from a couple of folks in AREP that that was either very uh, helpful in order for them to grow from smaller businesses to larger businesses, or in certain cases, certain businesses just prefer uh, to be within a larger development structure because they get the economies of scale and they get other resources uh, with that. So we're really focusing on those two models, but as we've said, um, to, to, uh, as we've discussed, um, this is an iterative process. This is something that we're trying, uh, something quite new, and uh, I would see both of these or all four of these projects as pilots. Take back feedback, and then we're going to continue to improve them and continue to be more responsive to the community that we're trying to serve. And Councilman McDuffie, uh, the uh, approach that we're taking in DEMPED on the real estate project is kind of the latest uh, uh, work that we're doing on equity, uh, but you're taking a couple uh, steps in the budget uh, in order to make sure that equity is top of mind as we enter into the next uh, FY, which starts on October 1st. Uh, first and foremost, I know one that we've been uh, talking about a lot, but that you uh, funded was the disparity study, um, and I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about what the approach will be on that. Yeah, you bet. No, I appreciate you bringing that up. I mentioned the REACH Act in my opening statement, um, uh, uh, but also, uh, as you mentioned, disparity study is something that I know that, that you and I and your team have worked closely together. Uh, with my team, Marisa Flowers and, and Brian McClure, uh, and we've had some fits and starts, but I'm, I'm excited about where we are. Uh, when we passed the budget, uh, the council, we, I included funding uh, to create uh, a new disparity study uh, with the idea that uh, we focus on creating a minority business enterprise program uh, following the completion of that disparity study. And that disparity study is the factual predicate that's necessary to overcome any legal challenges. And so uh, it's what's done in other jurisdictions that have similarly established minority business enterprise programs. And so uh, we're hoping to continue to work with our uh, office to be able to do that uh, because we have to find ways to ensure access to, to opportunity for minority small business owners. And, and it's what it's all about at the end of the day, uh, you know, focus on those, those tools that can help expand those opportunities. And we know, and there's data that shows when you have um, minority business enterprise programs, uh, it's, it's one of the best tools to try to level the playing field, so to speak, 
uh, recognizing that uh, historically minority-owned uh, businesses have not had the same opportunities and not been able to get you know, friends and family capital uh, or, or to go into a bank uh, and always get the sort of traditional uh, types of, of, of lending that others have access to. And so uh, those government uh, contracting opportunities are, are, are really essential for people to be able to grow their businesses and hire more people uh, from the communities where those businesses are located, which is really key. Absolutely. And we've talked about it lately, uh, even with the federal program, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, where we've seen a, a kind of a barrier uh, to that program. But, uh, you know, we only have a couple more days uh, that the program is open. And I know that the D.C. Chamber uh, has stepped forward and said that it would do uh, technical assistance for those who are trying to get an application in in the closing hours. But uh, really, just in the last few weeks, uh, well, last few months, as it were, uh, we've seen those uh, barriers and uh, that access to capital uh, really being uh, something that is uh, harder to overcome, even when there's a new federal program uh, to help our small businesses. Uh, so I wonder, too, Carissa, what your advice is, too, as uh, businesses try to navigate, uh, you know, in this pandemic, uh, new ways to find capital. Uh, what you are suggesting, what the ARAP is doing in order to get uh, businesses prepared uh, for the opportunities uh, that might come to fruition. Yeah, so it's so it's a good question, and I I I think that number one, the fact that we have had more activity this year. Um, in terms of the information that we um, have been sort of disseminating to the community and the, the types of events that we've been hosting. I think one of the things that I mentioned is that we had the conversation um, not only with the councilman twice, but we've also hosted um, folks directly from the SBA uh, that were talking about all the different programs that were offered, um, not only federal but also local. So I think what, what AREP tries to do um, while not wearing too many hats, is to make sure that we're giving information where we can find specific expertise. Um, and when I mention one of our prongs is matchmaking, what I mean is that when folks come to us with questions, whether we're fielding them on the website or we're, we're fielding them through our membership, if folks come with questions and say, hey, we're interested in PPP, how do we take advantage of it? How does that work? What are we supposed to do? Um, one of the things that we immediately do, number one, is contact one of our bankers, because we have many of them, of which I am one, um, and say, are you participating in PPP? What does that look like? How do our folks access the program? Um, so I think AREP is doing in this moment with regards to the pandemic what we've always done, which is continue to be a resource for our members, um, number one, and continue to employ matchmaking when folks come to us with questions about how to navigate in this environment. Um, so I, I hope that answers the question. Absolutely. And we've got a caller uh, who has a question about the arts. Uh, and so, Carol, I want to bring you into the conversation. Uh, Carol, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Can you yes, hear me? Can. Yes, we can, Carol. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I am a longtime arts person in Washington, D.C. I've had a performing arts company. I've been dean of arts for Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Uh, long time history. 
And I, over the years, um, have just been very concerned that the district has not had a community art center, especially one that meets the needs of black and brown artists, since the Landsberg building, which many of you may be too young to remember, <laughs> and the Stables building, uh, which served as cultural centers in the 80s, early 80s, and then later on in the 90s. Um, this has caused a loss of a lot of uh, long-time uh, institutional arts organizations that are uh, black or brown run to have to dissolve or move from the area. What commitment does the city have towards the black, possibly doing a black arts center? Uh, what assistance would they be able to give a group coming together in that they would be artists in uh, maybe accessing one of the buildings you were talking about or you know, trying to create a project like this? Yeah, interesting uh, idea. I know that uh, we've had a couple attempts uh, at incorporating arts organizations into some of the DEMPET uh, projects, um, and Saroche can kind of remind me of a few of them. I know uh, one that we were at uh, uh, groundbreaking for pre-pandemic was the Grimke School uh, as one example, but uh, we've had uh, an opportunity to try to insert uh, arts organizations, and it's a good idea also uh, for you to reach out to uh, an organization like ARAP, which is doing uh, teaming uh, ideas uh, for uh, sort of, as they do their matchmaking, as uh, they kind of answer or respond to some of these solicitations, maybe one way to sort of get that concept, uh, you know, into the conversation. But Sarosh, some of the other arts projects that we've worked on? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, on, on all of our projects, we do, well, primarily on our projects that have a historical component, um, we do try to, or we do require um, there to be an arts component to it. So, for instance, at the Stevens School, uh, there is a large arts component related to um, Thaddeus Stevens, who, who it's named after. Similarly, actually, at Reeves, we, we, are, we, we are still in the process of writing the RFP, but included in the RFP is going to be an art component to, um, to ensure that uh, we signify the importance of the property to the African-American community um, and the, district, uh, the district's history. Um, and and as, as the Deputy Mayor mentioned, um, we recently, and, and we're, we recently broke ground last year on the Grimke School, which has the African-American Civil War Museum um, included in it. And so it, it is a very interesting idea and certainly something that we will take back to have uh, more of an organized center, um, as, as you mentioned. Thank you. We have another question which came in to us uh, from Jordan. Uh, it's for Carissa. Uh, and it's that you're leading a large, diverse organization. How do you manage the competing priorities of stakeholders, uh, particularly around social and uh, policy issues? Ah, very delicately. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I think that um, one, of, one of the first things that we do when we're talking about um, social and policy issues is to remember who we are. Um, very often in conversations, we find ourselves going back to our mission and sort of framing um, whatever the particular question is, whether it's policy, um, social, or financial, or, or any other um, sort of stance that we might be interested in taking. We are oftentimes driving ourselves back to our mission and saying, you know, does this speak to who we are? Does this align um, with the goals and the mission of the organization? And so, 
Um, I think I think we do it the way any other organization does it or the, the way any other organization should do it, which is to constantly be mindful of who we are um, and what our mission is. The other thing I'll mention is that that's why the um, corporate anti-racist platform is so important to us as well, because for those of us that are sort of not in the racial equity sphere all day, every day, you know, many of us have day jobs, um, what the platform did was it gave us the language um, and the framework to have these types of conversations and to do it with a unified voice. And so those are sort of the two points that I would make. And, and the platform has really become just as important to us as the mission uh, because, again, it's comprehensive and it's representative of who we are. Absolutely. And Councilman McDuffie, how do we make sure that uh, this work that we're doing uh, reaches all audiences? Wow. I know that you and I have talked about, uh, even when we have grant opportunities, that we make sure that it's uh, – goes out and it isn't just goes out on the usual sort of social media platforms and uh, and sent out through our newsletter, but that we also get it out to uh, businesses that have been in the city uh, who well, worked hard and been dedicated to make sure that uh, the city uh, prospers. Uh, what do you think we can be doing to maybe get out the word about these opportunities uh, a little bit broader? I think having discussions like the one we're having today, I think uh, making sure that you're engaging the industry associations that represent, uh, you know, minorities and, and women and other uh, sort of diverse uh, groups of people. AREP, uh, you know, does a great job of, of, of getting their message out and engaging uh, with minorities who, who are involved in real estate. On the other hand, we also have to recognize, and I think we, we've, we've talked about this a lot, and I've appreciated some of the steps that you all have taken to set aside certain grants for, you know, uh, businesses and wards, you know, seven and eight. Uh, and, and I've also included uh, more of that in the budget uh, to set aside uh, more opportunities for, for uh, businesses, economically disadvantaged businesses and wards five, seven and eight. But the bottom line is we have to meet them where they are uh, and, and recognize that, that every small business owner isn't going to be represented by an industry association or any other organization for that matter because they're trying to run their businesses. Uh, and we know that the lion's share of black-owned businesses uh, are, are, are essentially uh, don't have more than one employee. Uh, and so meeting them where they are, uh, taking the show on the road, uh, getting outside of the Wilson building uh, into these main streets, uh, partnering with, uh, you know, the bids, the main streets organizations uh, like you all have done to distribute PPE to small businesses uh, as an example, but, but also uh, making sure that we think creatively about uh, other ways to engage these populations. I'll give you an example. This, this isn't, uh, it sort of goes back to what Carol had asked about arts, uh, housing, and, 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 and support. Uh, I, I've been working with, you know, Ron Moten and, and Natalie Hopkinson with Don't Need PC to make sure that as a city uh, has made Go Go the official music that we actually put our, our money where our mouths are to support the industry, an industry that has long been a part of the fabric of the District of Columbia. So I think you know, making sure you work with those individuals who have the ear and, and, and can engage with those small businesses that don't traditionally show up to advocate for themselves inside our city hall is key. And so I, I've seen you all take some steps towards doing that, uh, recognizing that, you know, PPE program, for example, isn't really reaching uh, many of our minority-owned businesses, uh, and we've got to do better 
to, to ensure that we're providing them with the resources and investing in them directly and helping them grow and scale, uh, again, to hire more people. Absolutely. And there was another question that came into us on social media, which was actually about uh, procurement being an important area uh, that you focused on, uh, but what, you know, what other areas do you look at? And that investment uh, is important, too. Like you mentioned, the investment in GoGo to make sure uh, that we're reaching out to uh, businesses that maybe don't always interact with the government, um, and that's something that you've uh, taken up the mantle of addressing. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think you've got to look at procurement as, as one of those opportunities that uh, really allows government to be thoughtful on how we engage uh, with minority and women-owned businesses uh, and, and reaching out to those economically disadvantaged uh, businesses. I also think that, uh, you know, as we recognize who's being hit hardest by uh, pandemics, we have to look at the types of businesses uh, and industries that support, uh, uh, for example, the small businesses in parts of the city that, that need the support the most. I think about, you know, Robert Smith and his, his recent pronouncement of, of, I think it was, he's referring to it as a 2% solution, uh, where he's calling on uh, some of these large uh, corporate institutions to, uh, to, to, to put money into the institutions that support minorities and minority communities, uh, black communities in particular. And so I think about, you know, institutions like Industrial Bank, for example, not, not, not a shot against Carissa and the great work that she, she's doing in her bank, but, you know, Industrial is, is, is a legacy in the District of Columbia. Um, and, and I think about their customer base and the work that they're doing. If we supported the city, figure out ways to support Industrial Bank, then uh, by virtue of their customer base, that they've developed over generations, uh, then, then we're going to be supporting those same businesses that we've been talking about. Absolutely. And I think it's also important that we have the D.C. Retirement Board, uh, which has, you know, uh, funds that it has to invest, and we need to make sure uh, that we find other ways that it looks to invest in D.C. first. I think one of the uh, things that sometimes gets lost on uh, people is that when we talk about equity, it's not just to help the people who we aim to put on that uh, equal footing, but it also helps us uh, as a city as a whole. Um, and I think it'll make sure that we employ uh, more district residents, that we see more opportunity uh, for district uh, uh, residents to, uh, to prosper. And so that's why we continue to work on it in DEMPED, and I'm glad that we have partners uh, in you, Councilmember McDuffie, and in Carissa. Um, and I guess for Saroche, when we think through uh, what we want to see um, out of these developments, when we think about the housing and the jobs that it will create, um, can you talk a little bit about um, what you think uh, we'll be able to achieve uh, with this uh, upcoming solicitations and uh, how people should kind of look to what we'll prioritize uh, in the responses? Yes, certainly. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, so, so. Primarily, uh, in addition to the equitable development focus, uh, we will continue to focus on what Mayor Bowser has uh, focused on throughout her administration, which is affordable housing, um, and also, of course, um, ensuring that jobs are provided to uh, local residents. But again, uh, it, and, and I actually use the equitable development concept, um, I've talked about this, which is when we first came into the administration, um, we were the first administration to implement actually Councilmember McDuffie's amendment to 10801, which created a 30% affordable housing requirement. 
And at the time, it was very difficult. You know, in the industry, there was some resistance as to whether it could be done. And now that's literally the new normal for us. And so it's the same thing that we want to see with this equitable development, which is that, um, you know, we are. We're stepping quite far out, and we want to uh, ensure that we push the push the industry to push the envelope. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we have heard a tremendous response. People have been very receptive to it. People have already come out to talk about it. So I think we'll see that. Um, and then in terms of uh, equity, we want, we want to ensure that equity flows through our projects, not just by the people who are developing them or constructing them, but also the people who are working on them. So we're looking at um, what I would call hyper-local uh, hiring on, on our projects. And so teams that are going after this should look, look to how they can really have specific programs that hire from the neighborhoods in which the, the, the projects are being developed. And then, of course, as uh, the Deputy Mayor mentioned, um, we also want the equity to flow to the, the residents, the new residents of these, uh, of, of these developments. And so we're looking at a variety of models. Um, we are looking at things like uh, cooperative models, um, equity share models. And so those models are actually e even more um, untested in, in the district. Um, and so we, we do want to be thoughtful and methodical, but we, we are pushing our development teams and uh, respondents to, to come up with new ideas that share our values of um, in, improving equity, particularly to, um, to underserved and, and disadvantaged uh, uh, populations. And we'll go back to the phone line, uh, Nick. Uh, Nick, your line should be open. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, what, what did you say? We can hear you, Nick. Yeah, did, did, did my question go through? Oh, Nick, what was your question? Okay. Um, yeah, so my question was, um, given DEMPED's focus on creating opportunities for, for equitable development partnerships and the difficulty associated with capitalizing projects, especially during the times of COVID, what are some ways that DEMPED and the district can help incentivize and ensure that projects are financially successful to DEMPED, the district, and its, its partners that it works with. Absolutely, thank you, Nick. Uh, you know, primarily we look at, uh, we, we, our projects really run the gamut, as you know, um, in terms of um, the financial need, the financial resources um, on the projects, for instance, Something like uh, the Reeves property, it's going to have uh, quite sufficient land value, and we would first look to land value on all of our projects. We look to land value to pay for the types of community uh, benefits that we want to see. Um, similarly, probably for Hill East. Um, and then as we proceed through the development, um, you know, there are a variety of types of gap, gap financing sources, I would say, available to us. Of course, the uh, Housing Production Trust Fund, which uh, the mayor has uh, closed on over $100 million of um, every year of, of the administration, well over 100. And so we look to those kinds of tools. And then DEMPED has a variety of other tools that are at our disposal. Um, but realistically, um, you, you know, we do expect teams to come and, and, and likewise be creative. Uh, we have talked to teams about reaching out to, there, there are a lot of new impact funds available. Uh, both the council member and Carissa mentioned that there are community-oriented banks. And so certainly when DEMPED receives these proposals, uh, we like to have teams having thought through a lot of that. But if we, if we really like a proposal and if we 
think that um, the, the team might need a little bit of extra help here or there. Uh, we have resources in our office. We have a lot of people that we work with, um, including AREP and other industry associations who can provide um, support. And I know we're running uh, short on time, but uh, I was just curious that there's a question from uh, Arrington Dixon. Uh, so Councilmember McDuffie, I think we have to allow for uh, former Councilmember Arrington Dixon uh, to, allow, uh, to ask a question. Uh, that's okay absolutely. With you. Uh, it is absolutely okay. Former Councilmember and Chairman Dixon. Absolutely. Councilmember Dixon, can you hear us? Your line should be open now. Okay. I'm uh, asking a question regarding opportunity zone resources uh, that are normally directed towards brick and mortar help. But it can also be used for non-brick-and-mortar businesses in communities. And with uh, the development that's occurring uh, in R, Anacostia River East, I call it R, I uh, wonder whether or not that's being distributed to some non-brick-and-mortar business, as you know. Thank you. Thanks for your all's work. Well, uh, definitely uh, Opportunity Zones is uh, uh, definitely a new and emerging tool. Uh, we at DEMPED have been... Uh, really uh, following it as you have and see that uh, really brick and mortar has sort of been the first uh, uh, investments that we've seen made uh, and we're looking uh, in order uh, working with uh, investment funds to try to figure out how they'll go to uh, operating businesses as well and really I think there's a lot happening uh, in uh, Ward 8 uh, in historic Anacostia. I know Councilmember McDuffie's been with us every step of the way uh, as we uh, really uh, aim to get the MLK Gateway uh, up and uh, going. I know they've broken ground on phase one, they'll break ground on phase two, and host uh, be the home of the uh, Department of Housing and Community Development. Uh, in their uh, initial phase, and maybe their second phase, Roche, uh, there's an opportunity zone investment uh, in that project. Uh, and uh, really we look to make sure that, uh, like you said, that really opportunity zones uh, they are helpful uh, as we try to complete the capital stack for uh, brick and mortar uh, projects, but we want to make sure that they also uh, make their way to the operating uh, businesses as well. And so we'll uh, maybe come back to that as uh, something we could discuss uh, in the weeks ahead because I think it'll be key to our recovery. Uh, but Councilman McDuffie, uh, Chris, I'm not sure if you have any uh, other opportunity zone uh, observations. Uh, not necessarily an opportunity zone observation, but I mentioned the MLK Gateway Project uh, that we notified Chickio, and I just really wanted to highlight that as an, as an example of the council and the, and the, and the mayor working together. Uh, the council uh, uh, did a tax abatement for that project uh, at a very important uh, location in Ward 8 in historic Anacostia, uh, which is, uh, you know, a lot of people over there who are excited about that. Uh, and it's being done by uh, a minority, uh, D.C.-based minority-owned developer in Pumekiti, uh, who he and, uh, and Kimber are, are members of AREP. Uh, but also it includes uh, the enlightened, uh, the company that's owned by Antoine Ford, who also is a minority-owned company. He grew up in the College Terrace neighborhood, Langston, over in Ward 5. And, and you know, this is going to be a, a very important project for the District of Columbia. And I just want to take an opportunity 
to highlight that uh, as something that, that can be, I think, replicated uh, if we do the work in the way that you all are doing it with the equity inclusion RFP with an eye towards expanding opportunities to people uh, who really need uh, that sort of support. So, so I just want to highlight that. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to close out our conversation today, uh, but I wanted to give Carissa a final opportunity to uh, let us know what we can do to uh, help coordinate with ARAP uh, as we go forward. Sure, sure. Well, well, first of all, I'll just reiterate again that, that we appreciate um, the opportunity to be a part of this conversation. And I, and I think really, um, Deputy Mayor, it comes down to two things that, that AREP values and sort of puts front and center. Um, and the first one is just investment with intentionality, right? And we talk about that um, in the anti-racist platform. I think for municipalities, um, and, and the same for organizations and businesses, right? We're asking that when you start to talk about investment, um, that you're doing so with real thought about the community and the folks that reside there, um, even with respect to your RFPs and the way that you're putting them together and crafting them, are you doing it with intentionality and making sure that you get the best um, and, and most effective responses um, that sort of really build the community in the way that you want it to be built. And so I think oftentimes um, we can move forward with an idea of investment um, in one form or another, but not really doing it with intentionality. So that's the first thing. Um, and then the only other thing I would say is that we continue um, to be excited about the fact that the city is interested in input from the business community. I know Councilman McDuffie and I, um, comment on this whenever he um, participates in an AREP event, we know that it's, ex it's extremely important when you're talking about policies um, and crafting things at the local level that you get input from the business community to ensure um, that what you're creating is practical um, and it's something that can actually be executed. So those are sort of the two notes that I would leave with is, is in intentional investment and continuing to get input from the business community. Uh, and so thank you again for, for allowing us to join the conversation. Absolutely, and I, I agree with you on that intentionality. Uh, it's why uh, we put forth uh, this uh, approach on our real estate RFPs. Uh, you know, this past Sunday, we celebrated a great uh, milestone. I guess, uh, birthday, really, uh, and that was of uh, James Baldwin. Uh, and there was an interview that I saw of James Baldwin where he said, like, uh, you always said, America, give it some time. And you told my grandfather to give it some time, you told my father to give it some time, and now it's 60 years old, he's 60 when he gave the interview, you're asking me to give it some time. Uh, and so, Councilmember McDuffie, I know you've uh, worked on this equity issue uh, your entire career. Uh, what do you think we should do in order to make sure that we uh, live up to what Carissa challenges to do and be intentional about our approach to equity? I have to, to, to respond to, to, to James Baldwin's call to action that uh, is decades old and, and, and not simply keep putting off until tomorrow things that we can do today. I think to Roche's point about, uh, you know, the affordable set-aside in 10801, the 30%, Initially, there was resistance, and, 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 you know, there were people who were asking questions about it, um, but we forged ahead nonetheless, and I think we have to forge ahead uh, with what the work that you all are doing here, and there will be people who will question it. There will be people who say, 
you know, why is Jinping, why is the mayor uh, and the council member, you know, uh, trying to force this equity inclusion uh, into the RFP? And I think we have to recognize uh, and, and, frankly, be bold in the conversation that there are minorities, you know, black and brown people uh, who help build this city. Uh, I mean, there are literally people who help build this city brick by brick but did so uncompensated, right? And, and, and while I don't expect, you know, Denpair to, to fix, you know, you know, a whole history of, of, of slavery and, and, and segregation in uh, and, and one or five RFPs, I think uh, we could recognize uh, the need to expand these types of opportunities and have government uh, set the tone and be the leader uh, in this area. And, and I think you'll see others uh, start to replicate uh, the great works that you all are doing with the equity inclusion RFPs. And so uh, I think we need to respond to, to James Baldwin's call that he made decades ago uh, and not, not wait anymore, not put it off anymore, uh, defend, demand this kind of accountability in our RFPs and create these types of opportunities for people who are uh, well-suited and experienced to compete and build these projects. Well, thank you. And Councilmember, that's a great place for us to end. Carissa, thank you for joining us. Uh, Sarosh, thank you again. And uh, for uh, the solicitations that Sarosh uh, mentioned, uh, go to our website, stempet.dc.gov. Also, to learn more about uh, the district's work on Opportunity Zones, uh, go to ozmarketplace.dc.gov, uh, which lists uh, the different opportunity zone investments that happen in the district and can help you get a sense of what investors are looking at. So, again, that's ozmarketplace.dc.gov. Uh, and then, of course, uh, coronavirus.dc.gov uh, slash recovery is the place where we're putting all the resources that we talk about uh, in these uh, uh, weekly check-ins, and we'll continue to put uh, more resources up on that uh, page. So if you go to coronavirus.dc.gov uh, slash recovery, uh, that's a good resource for uh, all of the things that we talked about uh, here today. Uh, but we want to thank you for joining us again uh, for the District Economic Recovery Team uh, weekly check-in. Uh, thank you all for your advocacy on behalf of the business community, and thank you uh, all for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you.